Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. I wanted to start off by asking you about you know, what is the importance of the arts when everyone seems to be talking about technology all day long? <laughs> well, I think we all, you know, this conversation cannot happen in silos anymore. So we all bring something to the table, and I think the arts brings something to the table that technology can't, and vice versa. You know, I think that the arts have a easier access to maybe telling the human story and having that human connect connection and that interconnection that we all have. I think it's easier, it comes across easier through the arts. And I think that level of empathy that we have to kind of maintain throughout the process of dealing with all of the issues that we're facing in the world today, I think it's really important to never lose touch with that human quality that we are talking about human beings at the end of the day. What has been your greatest inspiration as an actor? I get inspiration from strange things. <laughs> um, life, I mean, I think life in general has probably been my biggest inspiration when it comes to my work. Just living life and being part of this thing called life and watching other people live life and uh, watching other people struggle through things. You know, sometimes sitting in a coffee shop in a country that you've never been to and just watching people, you learn a lot. And I think a lot of that stuff kind of gets filed into my brain. And when I do a film, somehow I have access to that file. And it might have been like from something five years ago that I saw or that I witnessed that just stayed with me. And I find the piece of work that it, it, it works in perfectly. And I think I'm, I'm always grateful for those moments. But I'm also, you know, incredibly inspired by music and art and, you know, things that people do with their lives. I, I'm very inspired by that. So, so you, um, Hollywood in the last, you know, so many months, at least a year, there's been a certain level of activism when it's come to gender parity. We've seen the hashtag MeToo movement. Um, are things getting better? Yes, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm an optimist. <laughs> I think we all have to be. It's sometimes hard, and I completely understand that too. But I think that it's undeniable what's happening with this woman's movement right now and how incredibly active it is. And for whatever that catalyst was, and I think we all have different opinions of what we think the catalyst, what, I don't care as long as this conversation continues. And I think the, the, the numbers of women who have found strength and a voice to be able to speak about what had happened to them, things that they have seen, things that they've experienced, is just too powerful for this not to cause change. And so I can definitely tell you in my industry hands down, people are thinking differently, they're talking differently, 
their awareness is at a level that it's never been before. And I just don't see how we're going to move backwards from that. We can only move forwards. So when we were um, just in the UK, we had, a, we had a, a protest recently of female journalists who work at the BBC who, who outed the corporation in many respects with regards to salary difference and the, the gender gap. Yeah. Um, how do you address that in Hollywood? Well, I think the same thing is happening. I think women are finally asking for transparency. And through that transparency, I think we've seen things that some of us were shocked. I think we always knew that, there, that it existed, but I think we were in denial about how extreme the numbers and the, dis the, the, the discrepancies were. And so I can tell you that <laughs> there's been a fire lit with women in my industry and I'm proud to witness it, and I'm proud to be lighting that fire with them. And I think, and I think the nicest thing about all of it is that I think women are realizing that this is crossing borders, this is crossing nationalities, this is crossing industries, this is not just a Hollywood thing anymore. This is something that's now come to life in every industry out there. And we are finally looking at the value or what society values about women. And when we look at that 1% of all the top jobs in the world and the lack of women in those places, uh, well, I think we're finally at a place now where women are saying no more. So your activism is well regarded and you set up a NGO in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we'd love to hear your your thoughts and why you set that up and how that's going, I think the audience would appreciate perhaps a little bit of a view in terms of the work that you do and how is it that we can be supportive in your, in your pursuit of your goals? Well, in 2007, I launched uh, Charlize Theron Africa Outreach and it really was, um, it was born out of the love that I have for my home country. I was born and raised there and from a very young age, when the AIDS epidemic started, I was very aware of how, uh, how much of an epidemic we had. I witnessed, as an eight-year-old, a lot of people dying from AIDS, not knowing that it was AIDS at that time, having so much misinformation about AIDS that really just caused a lot of fear and chaos in my country. Back then and today, Unfortunately, South Africa is the hardest hit when it comes to HIV in the world. We have the highest numbers of infection, new infection, new infection rates. And so it was a no-brainer for me to want to do something in prevention care. There was a lot of organizations doing work with immediate attention to ARVs being delivered to people who were already infected. But we lost an entire generation of parents with AIDS and we were stuck with an, an, a, a ginormous number of adolescents and youth who were not getting the right information, not at home, not at school, and nobody was telling them how not to become HIV positive. And so that was really the, the idea of CTOP. We work with um, grassroots organizations who are living within the villages and in the, the communities that are the hardest hit. They are part of the, that community. They know what are the drivers. They know what are the struggles for these young people. And so we fund 
we fund them, we try to give them the resources that they need because we really believe that they are the only ones that can solve it. And uh, launching a scholarship fund that will kick in next year in realizing that in trying to prevent HIV, it's really impossible to do that without having that extension of education be part of it. And also giving people, and especially young girls, a future and a hope to actually bring something back to their society. And so we're very, very happy about that. Thank you so much. My, uh, my boss and founder of the Vaki Foundation has a great quote that he uses, which is, whatever the question, education is the answer. And um, I, I'm really pleased and thrilled to hear of your, your echoing of the same thing. Uh, this morning, we, we, were, we were privileged and honored to host um, three young uh, adults, young people, who were caught up in the, um, in the, in the shooting in Florida uh, just a few weeks ago. And what really came through to me was the voice of activists. Um, yes, of course, they were youth activists. Um, and I know that you yourself are, 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 are recognized as an activist. When we think about preparing young people for the future, what are the key traits or competencies or virtues that you think that young, we should be looking at inculcating in young people as they, as they grow through this very uncertain times? Well, I've always thought of the youth as actors of change. And I do think that young people are predominantly the ones who see activism through. You know, I think we started, and for some reason their energy and their uh, tenacity and their rage and all of that stuff that you have when you're, you know, 19 and 18 that we all somewhat lose when we get older. I think those qualities are what is the strength of a lot of these movements right now. When you look at, you know, the last couple of years, things that have really changed like marriage rights, marriage equality rights, in America, that really was pushed through because of the youth. And they really were the ones that just did not give up. And I think because of that energy that they put behind it, we now have, you know, equal marriage laws in America that we didn't have before. I think also looking at our election, I think you, you can definitely hear a sense of frustration with the youth. And I think this year in particular, it's kind of built up uh, to a place where now there, there's no more room for anything to go. Now it has to just come out. And I think I am so happy to finally see the youth take ownership with their voice about what's going on with gun control in America, since they are the ones affected by it 100%. And so I'm incredibly proud when I see these kids on CNN and BBC traveling the world, talking about their own personal experiences and what they've experienced. And also, the ones, they're the ones coming up with the solution. And I think for the first time, the conversation is actually being heard in a, in a way that we've never heard it before. And I hope politicians are hearing that conversation that I definitely hear when I hear them speak about it. And so I think it is our duty to support them. I think it is our duty to stand behind them, not to take anything away from them, let them do this, but to support them and give them the resources to be able to continue this movement. We were at an education conference, and um, a lot of teachers are here. 
there's a famous pronouncement by the President of the United States saying that teachers should be armed. Uh, what is your feeling on things like that? Oh boy. I will only say, let's listen to our kids. I don't think any one of those kids said that that was the solution. And I am going with the kids on this one. Uh, you know, I have a very personal experience with gun violence. I lost my father to gun violence. And I just don't understand when people try to make the conversation, the argument, that the fix is more guns. <laughs> it is so outrageous to me. Um, but it also makes complete sense when you look at the policies that are in place and, and you look at the support and where it's going, where the finances are coming through. And so people are in bed with each other that should not be in bed with each other. And I think until we kind of clear that up too, we're, we're gonna have these issues. If we uh, go back a few years, only a few in your case. Can you remember your time in school and who your favorite teacher was? Yeah, I, I went, my lower school experience uh, was great. I grew up in a very rural part of South Africa, little farm town community, and so there was only one school. <laughs> that was your choice. And there were about 500 kids, and uh, it was literally just this little school built in a, like, a dirt field. Some kids didn't even wear shoes to school. Uh, it was poor, but nobody I think in that school ever felt poor because of the teachers. Because I feel when you're in an environment where your life is being enriched in other ways, and I think education is one of the biggest ways that you can enrich your life. You don't ever feel like you're lacking some, something somewhere. And I never felt that when I went to school. I had a teacher, Miss, Mrs. Beale, and she was tough. She was really tough. And a couple of moments with her where I definitely was like, oh, this woman is so unfair. She's sending me to the principal's office again. And now that I look back, I'm so grateful because she definitely knew that there were things about me where I needed boundaries. And she made me very aware of them when I was very, very little. And then at the same time, when I wasn't in trouble and I was in school, she was the one that was super supportive of me standing in front of the class if I wanted to sing a song or read a poem, and very supportive of that. And so I always think about her. I always think about how you kind of like look back on things in your life when you become an adult and how you actually see the reason behind them. And she had so much reason behind her actions that I benefited from, and so I'm incredibly grateful for her for kicking my ass and also supporting me. So there are, to achieve the sustainable development goals which expire in 2030, the estimation is that we need 69 million new teachers in the profession, of which the vast majority are needed in Africa. You know, given that the challenge that we have with regards to actually recruiting that workforce, uh, and many countries actually find a problem in terms of making sure that the brightest and most able kids actually consider it as, a, as an attractive profession. What would be your advice to governments in terms of how they perhaps achieve that? 
one way that we're addressing it by, is by looking at improving the status of the profession. You know, are there other ways that we, should be, we could be looking at, at, at this differently to make sure that you know, teachers are in the classroom, paid well, respected, regarded, and so forth? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that uh, it's always, to me, very, uh, it's very sad that we don't see the value in teachers. And I don't think a teacher feels value when they get paid what they get paid. I just don't think that it matches up. And when we look at how we kind of put certain positions of jobs on pedestals, this is the one that should probably be on the highest pedestals. Because if you look at a government not paying attention to the fact that if you're not giving children education, and you're not allowing teachers to be in a position to give a good education, you are basically making your country incredibly vulnerable. Because without that education, especially young girls, they, they start living on the outskirts of their society. They are way more likely to be uh, pregnant before they're maybe 13. They're having children that they're not ready, they can't financially support. And so a vicious cycle starts and it's a cycle that can be stopped with just good education. And I don't see why governments don't understand that the investment in education and in teachers is truly the investment in the future of your country. And so that, that has never quite lined up for me. I don't know why it's so hard for them to see that. Thank you. I'm going to ask one more <laughs> Rightly so. I'm going to ask one more question. I'm going to take two questions from the floor after that. And then we will conclude. So I'm going to come to you, Gary. You're, he's a fellow South African. And one more person from this side. Who wants to go? Uh, Marie at the front. OK, so the, the question I had, uh, Shalise, was to do with the future. The theme is, again, 2030. Um, what are your predictions for the future? I mean, I, I'm asking you to cast your, your, your crystal ball yeah. and have a prediction as to where do you think we are going to be in 2030? Well, let me shake it. Um... Look, as I said earlier, I am, uh, I, I, I'm an optimist. Uh, I wake up in the morning and my attitude is, if it, whatever is not working, we need to fix, and how do we fix that? And I, and I don't think I'll ever stop that. I have two little kids in my house that it, and inspire me on a daily basis to go out there and be part of that fight. I hope that we can get to a place where 90, an estimated 98 million adolescent kids, most of them girls, can be in school. I think if we can solve that and, and we can get everybody in a, an educational program that can actually advance their, their future, if we can invest in that, I, I'm very optimistic in the future. I, I feel like we will actually solve poverty, we'll, we'll solve HIV for sure, and I think we'll have healthier communities and healthier countries. I just feel that the value of what we place on women especially is because we don't educate them. And what, what are we really saying when we don't educate young girls across the world? So when you start looking at hashtag me too and all of these movements, we have to go a little bit further back and solve it before we get to this place where women are, are already in the workplace and they're being harassed. And you stop that by getting society to value women more.
And we value them if we educate them. We value them if we give them equal pay. We're, we're saying we value your commitment to this world through our actions. And so I think we really have to become more active driven than just talking about things. Great. Gary, if you can. Hi, Charlize, Gary. Uh, firstly, as a South African, I think you know that we're all very proud of you from back home. So, and thank you for all the work you do. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, but I want to give a bit of context first. I run a private foundation based in Cape Town that works all over the world. And we're trying to change those very paradigms that you're talking about. We can't understand why educators can't see the need for those changes and the investment as well. And one of the things we're looking at doing is we're engaging with a script writer and a movie director called Bruce MacDonald from South Africa who's done some really good work. And we're talking about how we can use mainstream or blockbuster movies to change mindsets in the world. So that's kind of, I don't know what you think about that, but the question I wanted to ask you is your impact as a UN ambassador. Often we see the bigger the engagement or the bigger the, the portfolio, the less effect it has. In your work that you've done there, do you see value coming back on that? And can you see any other way of doing it that'll change paradigms to get the necessary shifts that we're looking for? Uh, thanks, Gary. It's nice to speak to a fellow South African. Um, I'd love to, at some point, maybe talk to you more about your program and this idea that you have. I think uh, the more we come up with innovative ways to get a message across, that's really, I think, how programs succeed. And really, we have to keep that think tank alive and bring younger people to have a seat at the table to kind of help us come up with those incent those ideas, those initiatives that feel fresh. And so that sounds very good. Um, I've always found, I think that you can find problems and solutions in both bigger organizations and smaller ones. And I do think that they do different things. The, the, the thing that's very important for me is to kind of get people to work together. That's really one of the, my biggest drivers with CTOP, is to look at people who are doing all the work already and what would happen if they had access to more tools, to more money. And how do you connect what they're doing maybe with another grassroots organization that's doing something else? And if you bring those two together, they're bringing two or three things that neither one of them had before. And so it is really about bringing everybody together. The work that I do with the UN, I don't think could ever work on that scale, on that level, with the intimacy that you get with grassroots organizations. They are not living the lives of the people that we're working with. But they can help us if we use them uh, to get messages across and to put pressure on people to change policies. And I think, I think that's where I've been very grateful to kind of have the leverage of working with grassroots and then also being able to go and speak in front of the UN about issues that we're facing right now and to have those kind of meetings in a place like Davos where you can really get money behind good ideas and to cause real change. So I think I think that it's important to kind of like bring everybody to the table instead of being negative and saying 
this person doesn't do that and this per none of us are going to be able to do it all so we're going to have to be able to meet in the middle somewhere and work together i think that's the answer great the next question actually last year was in the top 10 of the global teacher prize i'm so proud to call you to ask a question hello so thanks a lot um that you are here it's really an honor for us and uh, you're raising your voice for the children and for the teachers so we both, Angelika and I, we are like collaboration. So we're having two projects, which already kind of getting the sustainable development goals. It's the Sports Matter project and the SOS Love project. So we empower the students. We empower the sports mentor who will be becoming teachers for the next generation. We're teaching them empathy. And we would love you to give us a quote for these students who are already standing up. They're primary students who are having a refugee background. A lot of these kids doing arts with skateboarding, giving the message throughout the skateboard. They're doing physical activity. So we want to um, bring this message forward that each child has a voice and each child needs to be listened to. So that's why we want to ask you, because we as women already collaborate together to um, give you a quote for these special students, for these students to stand up for them, to give them hope, because you are such a role model for them. Oh. Wow. Um, I would say just be resilient. This work is, uh, it will kick you down several times. There's nothing easy about this, otherwise it would have been done and we wouldn't sit here today. And so I think my biggest advice to, to, all, to all of the kids that I even work with is to just be resilient. You know, it's not, about, it's not about how many times you fall down. It really is about what do you do after you get back up. And I think we don't give enough credit to our kids in their ability to do things that we might think they're too young to understand or that they don't have the life experience behind it. And we're so wrong with that. I, I work with kids on a daily basis and I see more evidence of intelligence, problem solving, empathy, ideas, bravery that come from them than I ever see in a room with adults. It's just, I think we as adults, it's our responsibility to help them through what is gonna be a tough journey and to support them. And so just be resilient, grow, grow an extra layer of skin and be resilient. Thanks a lot. So can we use it for our two projects to bring them forward? It's all yours. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Friends, I, I, know, I know that Shalise has another engagement at GSF. I think you're going to GSF Live. Uh, please join me in a huge thank you to her for her time in the coffee house. Thank you so much, everybody.